This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Walkheaders? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Got my buddy Scott Brinkman here today with Royalty Guardian. Scott, what's going on, man? Glad to be here. Beautiful day in Houston. Beautiful day in Houston. There ain't many of them. Eighty-five take, degrees and dry. We gotta, so, we gotta take advantage of it. You're in from Austin, right? Short shot. Nah, not not too Into bad. Into the west side of Houston, two and a half hours. Yeah, not too bad, man. What is it that you guys do at Royalty Guardian? Short story is we help mineral owners, and so my background's in investment management in. So I put that investment management lens on somebody's oil and gas minerals. Okay. And not to get too deep, but the short story is you got to know what you own. You got to know that, verify that you're getting paid right. And you got to have a system to stay on top of. And un until now, um, everything's dominated in Excel. You get all the data from Excel and it's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. We, we did a uh, suspense verification. We had a client that got a suspense payment. And we were expecting 8,000 lines of data. And we got 80,000 lines of data from the operator that we, we had to parse through to see if they were getting paid right. So a lot of times, you know, royalty owners are, you know, the people who own the minerals. Sometimes it's been passed down for generations. That's kind of the, I think that's that's one whole category, right? And so right. they're not necessarily equipped to handle this kind of information, particularly if you have interest in a lot of different wells. Um, there's not really anybody who's looking out for them necessarily, right? And so it's kind of just right. like on the trust system of like, oh, we we own X percentage of um, you know this well or these many wells, and we're just kind of expecting to kind of get paid uh, you know, properly. And then you have the whole other category of the investor side, right? Who's going out and buying a whole lot of, um, you know, kind of non-op working interest or overriding royalties. Uh, and then how do they, how do they manage that? And who's looking out for them? And so I think that this is, uh, it's interesting because I haven't seen anybody else do what you guys are doing. You're kind of like the, I don't know, the, the protector of the mineral owner, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot, there's a lot of, so there's like a lot of different software out there to like kind of manage different things, but walk me through where exactly in the market you guys play. Our strong suit is, is twofold. One, um, I would call them new mineral owners. Uh, we got started. Our first three clients came to us with bankers boxes of paper and said, guess what? I just inherited this. What is it? They didn't know the land side. And they're like, well, I'm getting these 500 page check stubs. What, what does it mean? Mm -hmm. We, that's our forte. And then, um, we also are talking to a couple of mineral managers. I mean, mineral buyers. Yeah. Because they haven't built the accounting systems and all everything on the back end. They just don't have that infrastructure. They call it having a limited bandwidth mm. and it's, you know, it's taken us three, four years to build this out. And it's probably $250,000, dollars of capital invested. Mm -hmm. So it's not easily done. It's not, and there aren't any off the shelf solutions. So I want to dive into the, what are, what are the other solutions out there? Do you guys compete with anybody? But 
you've mentioned the investment banking kind of background, right? And kind of applying that lens to the whole mineral owner um, space. What What's your story? What's your background? And how did you guys kind of stumble across this idea? Okay. So my background um, went to undergrad at Austin College. Okay. So I was used to small towns in Texas. And I went to graduate school at Carnegie Mellon okay. and was in data intensive this was back in, in the mid eighties mm -hmm. where you would meet somebody on campus. You would meet a girl and you could do aware and start sending them emails. I mean, that was 1985. That was state of the art. State of the art before you're sliding the DMS on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I went to, from there to work for a trade council in Austin. Um, and we wrote credit reports on all the municipalities. So we had to travel to all these municipalities yeah. and then condense all that into what was a paper form and, and it was just a paper denominated or dominated business. Um, we transitioned it from paper into, gosh, I don't even think Excel was around back then. So the, that's kind of been my mantra or my experience going from very data rich environments to paper based environments, trying to automate that. And then bring that automation to the individual. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned um, investors, um, big funds, Brigham Minerals. They've got all this stuff wired. Mm -hmm. They have the resources. They have the accounting expertise. And it's worth their while to stay on top of this. They've got all that wired. Smaller guys, they don't. Yeah. Because they, they don't have the bandwidth, as they say. Because... You know, it takes four years and $200,000, $300,000 to build this. Yeah. So they sub it out. So how'd you guys come up with the idea? You know, we got started, or the idea came to us in 2015 when a very colorful lady in South Texas called a friend of mine that was a land man. He signed her to the NPRI and he called me. He said, this lady's pissed. You want her to help? Um, you want to get in on this? I'm like, yeah, sure. She said, you know what? Chesapeake put me in suspense. I used to be a bookkeeper, and I know them sons of bitches are cheating me. <laughs> Can you boys help me figure it out? And it's like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like helping your 80-year-old mother or yeah. your 80-year-old grandmother. Um, so she had a title issue. We did the title work and started and got her. She hired a lawyer to, to litigate the title part. And then I started looking at her check stubs and the inner banker took off with me and uh, she wasn't getting paid right. And by inner banker, I managed municipal bonds in the trust department at Chase for 12 years. Three and a half billion. And I had my name on the first, when Chemical first started a tax-exempt money market fund, I had my name on the portfolio. So the SEC knew about me. And I bring that up not to really impress people, but I come from big numbers. We, you would add value in a portfolio by finding anomalies. You would find value in big sets of data. And you go buy the value, right? Mm-hmm. So I, we had used a lot of quantitative techniques 
to do that. But on the other side, um, there was the SEC. And my bosses impressed upon me real early. They said, you know, imagine your worst client on your shoulder talking into your ear when you're talking to the brokers. And back then, those clients were guys like Joe Jamail and former chairmen of the bank and hedge funds managers. And they were big, big guys. So I joked that my head was kind of hollow so I could translate what they were saying through my head into what, what I needed from the broker. And that, that perspective stayed with me a long time. So, you know, most landmen um, way back then, when you would go in the field, you would look up something and a lot of guys work for themselves afterwards. There used to be an old saying of you work for six hours, seven hours for the broker and one hour for yourself. And that just didn't rub me the wrong way. It was a big conflict of interest. So I'm bringing a, a very high trust CFA backed mentality into, into uh, the relationship we have with clients. So you, so you met this old lady, right? And so she's not getting paid right. You have to go in like rerun title, which by the way, it, that's, it's mind blowing to me that in 2023, every time that assets change hands, we go and repeat the exact same work. Whenever you have something like blockchain, you could have an immutable ledger that is like, we run all of the title once, you know, we deploy a kind of gig economy strategy. You could do bounties for landmen. And then once it's done, it's done. And I know that it's, that doesn't completely eliminate landman, but it it is ridiculous to keep repeating running title. It, it is years and years and years on the exact same properties. It makes exactly. absolutely like no sense. Why can't we just have one massive immutable exactly. database where title is now verified and we can all kind of move forward? I just feel like it's a it's a massive wasted effort um, and a massive. Yeah, um, you've had uh, Ashley Gilmore at Tracks.co. Yeah, yeah, they're innovative, very innovative. Mm -hmm. They, they blockchain it together so that the demo that I saw, Mark, he could tell what the, what the interest was, you know, in five minutes, he did it real time up on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're making it innovative. Where the landman comes in is you still got to read the documents mm -hmm. and interpret what they say. But with chat GPT, if you were to teach it everything that a landman knows, do you even need a landman then? I don't know. Have you paid attention to the whole chat GPT? Thing? Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious. I don't know. I, my familiar with chat GP is on the writing. end. It's not necessarily on the reading end, mm. but there is AI that you can, that you can teach to through OCR. You can read the leases. Yeah. And I think Ashley's program does a lot of that. Mm -hmm. They get you like 95% of the way there. And then you still got to put a set of human eyes on it. At yeah. this at this stage, and I think you know, isn't that kind of the best way to use AI? Is let it do all the time-consuming chores mm -hmm. and use people to add value to tell you what it means. Yeah, yeah, I think to uh, yeah, especially to go in and just verify that things are what they are. Um, well, the other important thing is this business is an information hoarding business, 
And I definitely, so everybody thinks title is a way that they is their advantage and they don't want to give it away. They don't want to share it. Um, you know, on my side, we try and, uh, get electronic copies of a client's division orders. And when we send the request to the operator, we ask for excerpts from the title opinion to show how that was, how that was calculated. Some of them say, no, our title opinions are private property. We paid for them. We don't divulge this information. So but why, why would they see the title opinions as like some sort of uh, secretive competitive advantage? Cause they paid for it. Mm. I wonder if that's just I wonder if that's just them being lazy rather than being. Well, you you hit on another important point. I don't know that they're lazy. They just do what's easiest for them. Mm. So lazy, easy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, if you think of from the from like an EMP's perspective, right? If you have, I don't know, ten thousand mineral owners and 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 only a small percentage even a couple hundred are constantly asking you for data and stuff that can be an absolute nightmare absolute right nightmare. to 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 deal with so yeah i mean the emp companies have a huge huge challenge yeah and and you know and they make money after it comes out of the ground on their part of the royalties if you got a 20% royalty they make money by paying attention to the 80% they don't make a lot of money by paying attention to the 20% yeah. So for the out of the 20%, they do what's easy. And a lot of it is antiquated systems. Yeah. Like I may be talking too far out of school, but one of the operators we pursued in South Texas, they didn't have the robust enough accounting systems until 2017. These wells were started in 2012. So I mean, we went through mediation. I sat across the table from seven lawyers and compared my numbers to theirs. And, you know, after six of them, it was pretty clear that they didn't have the accounting systems. So and, part, part of me wonders if, and, and this is coming from a place of, I just, I don't know. And I don't think that we've talked to a whole lot of companies that do or, or build accounting systems for EMPs. I know, I know there's, a, there's a handful out there that I played with about a decade ago um, or, or, or worked with. Um, but I, I don't really know what that market looks like today. And I, I definitely don't think there's anybody new that has been popping up in this space, you know, building more cutting edge, innovative, you know, accounting software, like you would see like normal, like B2B stuff, you know, obviously it has to be specifically built for this use case. You can't just go and yes, effectively use QuickBooks, I mean, w without massive amounts of customization and probably consulting and stuff like that, um, just due to uh, the way that, you know, interest is split up and due to routing of certain things, uh, the jibs, division orders, all that kind of stuff. Like that's very, um, has to be purpose built. You know, for yes. kind of for like upstream oil and gas. And so I, so if you, so if you guys know of any really new innovative uh, accounting software that I that I haven't heard of, uh, or if you work for a company that does some really innovative stuff, reach out because I would love to have you guys on the show. Wolfpack's good. So they they rebranded to Pack Energy now, right? Um, yeah. So pa Pack Energy, we'd love to catch up with you guys. It's been a while since I've uh, done stuff with you guys. <laughs> but staying on this point for just a second, you you captured the essence of why Embarrass 
started energy link mm -hmm. because the systems are complicated and it's even more complicated conveying that information out to the mineral owner. And what's the, for people who are not familiar, what's the energy link component of Inveris? So when an, it's basically an owner relations portal. Okay. So you can, when you can log on to energy link and see all your check stubs from the operators that participate all in one place. So if you have four different operators, you can see all those check stubs before you had to log, log on to each owner's in, investor portal or owner relations portal. Um, now it's all, it's all centralized. The catch is, and you got to take your hats off to Inveris because they really cornered a market here. You can get the information in PDF, but it's copyrighted. So people are very, very hesitant to use OCR on top of it. But if you want it in an Excel or a CSV file, guess what? You got to pay. Mm. So they give you like 75 lines free, but the other lines in your check stub, you got to pay for. So is that a product that is built specific for individual mineral owners? Yes and no. It's, it, it, or is it, more my, so, or is it more so for the EMPs that you're doing JVs with? Because the EMPs pay for it. Yeah. They offload all that invest owner relations function to Energy Link. And it's huge, huge time saving. So do you feel like you guys compete with Energy Link? Or no, no, not at all. No. So we take data. So we so the operator posts check stubs to Energy Link. And we actually use um, Mineralware mm -hmm. because they have an API feed into energy link and they can pull down all the check stubs from our owners every month from every operator makes it easy peasy and mineralware is also very good at consolidating the data into a standard format now there's other firms out there um, i've heard whitley penn does the same thing for some firms um, so our kind of workflow is or the the data flow is the operator produces a check stub. It goes into energy link, energy link takes it into mineralware, and then we pull it out of mineralware because mineralware is good at giving you a big picture on an operator or field, but they're still working on some of the stuff that we do. So as a, as, as a client, do I have to have subscriptions to Energy Link Mineralware and you guys for this to work? Or is it just to you guys? How Energy does... Link's free. Okay. Um, you, you need a Mineralware subscription or you have to have the check stub data in a CSV format to get it to us. Um, but you touched on another interesting point. We want all our clients to own their own data and, and all their own relationships. We don't want them to have to be dependent on us to get their data. Because what if we go away? Mm -hmm. We don't want them to have to go down our rabbit hole, right? Yeah. So in our case, we ask them, they subscribe to, they have their own mineralware relationship. Mineralware um, downloads from EnergyLink and our clients get a discount on what it normally costs. So what is the relationship with you and, and Mineralware? Like where does like where does Mineralware stop and Wolsey Guardian begin? 
Um, Mineralware stops. They can't give you granular data, meaning they can't look at every well, they can't look at every product every month. They, they can give you the data in Excel, but then you got to digest it and analyze it. Mm-hmm. And unless you're an Excel savant and numbers jump off the page at you, you can't see the problems. So we've taken it to the next level and built these visualization dashboards. It's a stoplight system mm-hmm. where you paid for every operator every month. Yes or no. Were you paid on every product every month? Oil, gas, and GLs. Mm-hmm. We found a recent example. Um, a client gets paid on 13 different wells from the same operator and three different products. What caught our eye was they were getting paid on oil, but not no natural gas or NGLs, which is really odd because when that comes out of the production screen, it all goes into a pipeline, right? It's hard to produce oil without the gas and NGLs. Well, they were reporting zero on the check stub. They were reporting zeros on the Railroad Commission website. You wouldn't see it. But they reported sales to the comptroller's office of gas and NGLs. Bing, bing, bing. Clients should be getting paid for that. Mm. So our stoplights, we had three red lights over like six months. They pop up. We start saying, you know, does this make sense? And then we go to the client and say, we think you have an issue. You tell us if you want to, how you want to pursue it. And so then what are the, what are the options for on pursuing an issue? You got a couple of red lights with one operator. What do you do? Well, first, um, each client kind of sets the threshold for those red lights. Okay. If it's a $5,000 problem, the client I'm thinking of, he doesn't, he wants to watch it. If it's more than $30,000, he wants to bring it to the operator's attention. And there's two paths you can go, and he's using both. One is if it's simple, we put together a packet that tells the operator what they want to see. Here's the revenue. Here's their deeds. Here's their lease. Here's, here's their unit declaration. And here's our numbers. Explain why they're different. That's one path is we present the claim to the operator. We write herd on them. They come back to us and hopefully they pay the client. Um, best case scenario, we, we did that for another similar situation. Client got a check in six weeks. Is that, is that average turnaround? No, no that was fast. Okay. That what's, was, a, what's average turnaround for pursuing something like that? It depends on the operator, yeah. how cooperative they are. Um, There's no legal requirements on having to. Yes, res- they have. They have to get back to you within sixty days. Okay, in terms of just a response, just a response saying, and, "Hey, we'll look into this," and then you start the ping pong match with the operator. Okay, um, we had one recently. It took start to finish two months mm-hmm. before she got a check. Yeah. But to the operator's credit, they want to do the right thing. They want to keep the mineral owners happy. And they know they're overwhelmed. Yeah. I think and, more and times than they not, make that's mistakes. the case. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's complicated. We're talking about like, it's just very easy to fat finger things when you're entering it or overlook things when you have 
tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. It is. Or, or the, other, the other complication is when an operator takes over wells, they're taking over somebody else's accounting system and, and pay decks. Mm -hmm. And they know there's problems. So if um, Devin took over WPX's wells, mm -hmm. and they've been more than cooperative, it, WPX made, had some clerical problems and ended up owing our clients some money. We present the case to Devin, and much to their credit, they recognize it, um, pay attention to it, and cut checks. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's, people always ask, you know, is there malice? Is there fraud involved in this? Is it intentional? I don't think so. No, I don't think it's very, I'm not exactly going to say ever, but most of the time I don't think right. there's any malicious intent whatsoever. I mean, there have been cases. Yeah. Yeah. Like Stat Oil got sued badly really? because they were shaving production volumes. Um, but nine times out of 10, they're doing the they're doing the best they can with what they have, but they simply don't have all the data, and they know they've made mistakes before. Mm -hmm. I mean, cynically, some I have friends that work for smaller operators, and they say, you know, we get audited all the time, and it's almost to the point where we look to the mineral owner to tell us what the problems are, so we can fix them. Mm -hmm. Because it's like the eighty twenty rule: if you set up this pay deck and you've got five different owners to make it simple. And two of those owners have real unique leases. Um, their accounting system set it up for the same for all five. Some operators say, you know, we'll take the high road and lease two and three is more restrictive. So we pay everybody on that more restrictive. Others say, no, we're going to pay two and three on the lesser, on lesser terms and catch us. Mm -hmm. depends on the operator so if i was going out and um you know say i'm just gonna i don't know go acquire over time interest in and in, in 20 different wells what advice would you have for me what are the things that i need to watch out for so i don't completely lose my ass <laughs> it's not necessarily that you you lose your ass it's just there's so many things that mm -hmm. you don't know yeah you don't know what you don't know and so the three things you need to do, one, get digital copies of your title, the deed, the lease, and the unit declarations. Get digital copies of your division orders. Um, match those division order decimals to your pay stubs. Sometimes they don't match. Mm -hmm. Match those, um, match all your wells to your tax rolls. You may be paying taxes on wells you're not getting paid on. Mm -hmm. And then... Third, put a system in place so that you can see every month, every well, that there aren't any problems. Mm -hmm. Because they might not make a mistake now, but two months later they make mistakes. Mm -hmm. the, other, the other thing is, is um, so we see mistakes made kind of in two instances. One, when there's a chain, change of chain in title. Most of our clients are new mineral owners. Their grandparents bought this. I mean, it's a core part of their family identity, but they don't have any background in oil and gas. They've been voluntold by their family that mm -hmm. you, get, you get to head this. Um, 
But the point of this story is sometimes the title is still in the grandparents' name. It's not flowed through the estate, and it's not flowed all the way through to the new entity. That's huge. I mean, knock on wood, for new mineral owners like that, there's a real good chance you've got a problem. Like how much? 20% of your royalties? It could be meaningful. Very. Yeah. We have one client that um, has tens of millions in income, and we found 10% of their income in problems. So at least a million. <laughs> oh, wow. It's insane. So the other, the other path is, you know, we take the easy path. The other path is... They got a good lawyer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, depending on the operator, depending on the issue, you got to get a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And good ones are worth their weight in gold. Yeah. Because they know their stuff. And, and uh, there's some gravitas to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I call John McFarlane the EF Hutton of oil and gas. When people get calls from John, the operators, they know they're dealing with somebody that's been around the block. Not exclusive to John. There's some really, really good law firms, um, Houston, San Antonio, a couple in Austin that are, are great and really know their stuff. Mm. And they're well worth the money. So this problem isn't just exclusive to, you know, the mom and pops or the grandkids or the nope. grandmas who, you know, who have some sort of like a mineral interest, but... You know, you could have, let's just say, you know, Pioneer Natural Resources has participated in a whole bunch of, I don't know, I'm just going to say Acme oil and gas as well, right? And say they own 30%, right? They need to make, make sure that they're getting paid out correctly too. So are you guys going to pursue that as also part of the business? Or are you guys already doing that? No, you're talking about the, where they would have a JOA. Just like, yeah, it's not on working interest. No, we're looking at the, we look to the payer. Mm-hmm. So it would probably be Pioneer in that case. But where problems come up is when Pioneer um, would acquire all the interest of three different operators, and then they got to get it into their system. But those three operators may have made mistakes. And Pioneer, I know they pull their hair out trying to, to make all that right. But they don't have to disclose it to the mineral owners. They, the laws in Texas put the burden of discovery on the mineral owner's shoulders. So you, mineral owner, have to approach the, the operator to get it fixed. So is that something that you could notify the mineral owner of, of like, hey, you're, the, the operator has now switched hands for these wells? Yeah. Maybe we're going to watch extra closely or something. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Chevron just bought an operator. Mm -hmm. Some of our clients have significant holdings from that operator and we're going to watch it pretty close mm -hmm. you know chevron's pretty good about yeah. things um, i'm also dating myself i am um i was a big fan of i love lucy right <laughs> and you remember when ricky would say lucy you got some splaining to do mm -hmm. well that's what i informally call the operators that are bad they're on our lucy list mm -hmm. we we know who who has, who does this right and who historically has had problems. Yeah. 
we actually try and for our clients, you know, they've got a dozen operators and we'll give them a scorecard to say, this operator's green. You don't have any problems. You have any problems for three months. And we didn't find any this month, but this one's yellow. They made some problems. This one's red. The problems are big. Is this a new problem or do we already know about it? And are we working? And you mentioned uh, Brigham's. Are you guys working with mineral buyers too or no? Yeah. Okay. Yep. You know, the other issue mineral buyers have is they have to make sure all their wells, they're paying taxes on all their wells on the tax rolls because their worst nightmare is something gets sold out from underneath them because they're not paying their, their taxes on. Mm. Again, big clerical, clerical issues. Um, but we've standardized that process, know how to get a hold of the operators and, have a very standardized process to stay on top of them. So it's, my wife calls it hound, hound and pound. So you keep pounding them, pounding on them and, and it works. <laughs> how do you, how do you, um, you know, I, I think it's easy to find from, from your, your perspective, right? From a business development perspective to go out and find the, the Brigham minerals and the, the haymakers and stuff. It's easy to find those in terms of like the individual mineral owners. How are you guys, able to find them because I feel like a lot of times they feel so lost in the sauce. Right. And are just like, they're not, they're not from oil and gas and they're not like, like, right. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking of like, if I was in your shoes, like how am I, how am I marketing this to, to these kinds of people to say that you're there to help? Um, two sources. One, we, um, we found a lot of people on energy freelance. Mm. They, a lot of people get told, Oh, you just need a land man. They really need a whole lot more. Yeah. So we're pretty interactive with people on energy freelance. Mm -hmm. um, the other, the other one is their lawyers. Hmm. Just a good network of lawyers. Yeah. Because, you know, honestly, people get bombed with offers to buy their minerals and it all goes into the circular file. They don't know who to trust. Yeah. So they always have a trusted advisor, be it their lawyer or their financial advisor. We talk to their lawyers and, financial advisors and say, Hey, you got people with problems. We can help because there's a vetting process. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you had, if you bought those 20 interests over time, you know, you've got gold sitting there and I can't imagine the number of, of letters and solicitations you get to buy your minerals, buy your minerals, buy your minerals. You just get bombed with them. And there's a, there's an information chasm because those mineral buyers know more than you do. My mother-in-law has some stuff in West Virginia and, and uh, she calls those letters, pat myself on the back. You take them and pat yourself on the back because you own something valuable and somebody else knows more than you and wants to buy it. And the price they're usually going to pay because they know so much more, you don't get paid the price that you should. So we try and level up that playing, that playing field. So you know, what's going on around you. 
So talk, talk to me about that, right? So if, so if I'm a, I'm a landowner, right, and I'm getting, I'm just getting bombarded with with uh, with offers uh, to buy minerals, right? Say I've got five offers in front of me. How how are you guys able to help in that process of figuring out who I should sell to? We don't. Okay, you don't. We don't. Um, we're not in that market every day. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest advice for those people is talk to a lawyer because they know the terms. They know. They're negotiating leases in these, in these areas all the time, and they know the prices. Um, where we can help them is you can see on a map, you can see your holdings, and you can see on a map what's going on around you. Mm. Like if, if you have the one holding in the center and somebody has a big drilling program going on, you know what, what's going on. Actually, was the was the story for one of our first clients. Five years ago, John uh, got voluntold. He's the head of the family minerals. And he came to me with five bankers boxes of paper. He said, I don't know what this is. So I helped him figure it out. We got the lands safe, figured out, and we got the revenue figured out and set up a nice spreadsheet. He had 50 wells. He, his interest is also right in the heart of the Permian Basin. And three years later, um, a major operator came in with a major drilling program and his well count exploded to 250. And now it's twice that. And it's like, we found problems when there was 50 help. Mm-hmm. We need to know what's going on here. Um, that is the one exception that is the one client that we set everything up with. We helped them cure a lot of issues, and then we handed it off. They do the monthly monitoring themselves because they have their own mineral wear subscription. And the guy's sister um, had pretty deep Excel skills. That's the one client that we've handed it off to because she she could do it herself. Mm-hmm. Most people want to don't have the bandwidth. If you're a new owner, you you got a day job. And the last thing you want to do is get in the tedious weeds with um, and look at boring accounting statements. Um, the cost is, you know, if you don't, you you could be losing 10% of your revenue. Yeah. What, what What is the business model for you guys? Is it is it SaaS? Is it a percentage of what you find? Um, we work on flat fees. Okay. Usually there's a, there's a setup fee because there's a big heavy lift in getting all the data right and doing the initial analysis. That's a flat fee. Then we go into what I call a curative phase. That can be either on a flat fee or an hourly basis. Mm-hmm. And during that curative phase, we set up monthly monitoring. And that's flat fees. Is there like a threshold for... I don't know if it's a threshold or maybe if I'm asking the average dollar amount, um, you know, that a, that a working interest owner or owner owner could like in terms of how much they're getting paid a month that it makes sense to get you guys involved. Is it, is it, you know, 5,000 a month? Is it 50,000 a month? Um, we always get asked that question. Country people call it is juice worth the squeeze. Yeah. And our sense is, you know, you gotta be, your annual revenue needs to be north of 200,000. Okay. 200, 250. Yeah. 
really to make sense because the way we're set up now, the, the initial setup fees, um, they could equal maybe a month's worth of interest mm-hmm. to get it set up. So people say, oh, I got to pay you the equivalent of a month's worth of interest. What am I going to get? We don't make guarantees that we'll find something, but I, t- I tell people all the time, I said, I can't guarantee that we'll find anything. Um, but if we don't, you'll be the first. Yeah. And it's also a good hedge. And it kind of gives you the peace of mind of knowing you're getting paid with you. Exactly. Or owed. Right? Exactly. And just because it's not happening now, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen later. Right. Right. And that's, that's the bandwidth issue. You've got other things to do. Unless this is your hobby and your vocation to do all this in Excel and, and sort through all the details, you got better things to do. So we set it up so that it runs on autopilot. Once a month, you talk to, to somebody. We send you reports. It takes a couple hours, and it all runs in the background. Do you ever, and this is totally off the wall question, right? But assuming... You know, you guys are building up this large clientele base of all these various mineral owners. You know, if one of them's like, "Hey, you know, I'm looking to, I'm looking to sell this," I mean, and if you've got a, a huge base of, of other mineral owners who could potentially buy it, is there like a, I don't know, a brokerage thing you guys could have going we on? We haven't. I would pursue it because it's conflict of interest. Yeah, who you're going to work for? Mm-hmm. You can't work for both sides. Yeah. So, you know, we'll give them resources of here's a great auction house or here's here's some lawyers for you to consider choosing mm-hmm. um, to help you through the process. But, you know, when I was managing investments, we call that crossing positions. Mm-hmm. One, one buyer, you cross from one buyer to a seller. But in the investment business, there's a registered broker-dealer in the middle yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. It's because... You have to either represent the buyer or the seller. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get in that. Mess. <laughs> it gets messy, especially getting a broker dealer license, right? I have, well, I have a CFA designation, which translates to a Series 65 with the state. I've had Series 7 and 63. I've been a licensed broker dealer. Um, and I know um, the guys that spun off of Mineralware have our registered broker dealers. The energy domain guys? Yeah. 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 Because it's, you know, you want to take the high road. These aren't registered instruments. It's an unregistered industry, but you want to take the high road mm-hmm. and have your licenses in place and be very aware of the conflicts of interest before you start crossing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, you got it. A guy could do it out of his pickup truck. <laughs> I call you. You got your buddy. We flip. That used to be the old way. So what's uh what what's next for you guys? What's the next kind of like the big milestone that you guys are aiming for? Um, currently we got about three clients. Yeah. Next milestone is is. Expanding that, obviously. Mm-hmm. The, big po- the big possibility are mineral funds. Okay. We're talking to two or three of them that 
have holdings, they know they might have problems. So it's our biggest hurdle is trying to get our work, trying to get the word out there on what we do into the network of people that these people trust. Mm -hmm. Because this is oil and gas is still a relationship based business. Um, so you people will work off recommendations. You got to know the guy to talk that they trust to help them. You know, the other big milestone is we're trying to integrate it into a couple of platforms. Okay. Um, there's data, two data providers out there that already provide the backend and can do a lot of analysis on what your revenue could be. Mm -hmm. We can plug our system into theirs so that we can find the problems. And it's a nice compliment. Um, the other thing you were saying is about competition. The real appeal to how our business model is set up and our referrals are we don't pay referral fees. We don't give referral fees. There's no conflict of interest. So we're not putting money in anybody's pocket, but more importantly, we're not trying to take it out. Mm -hmm. Some mineral managers, they have attorneys on staff. So they take it completely over. But if you're a private practice lawyer, it's very hard to send a client over to a mineral manager that's going to take your, your business. Yeah, 100%. So if anybody's listening and they want to reach out, whether they're with a fund, whether they personally own some minerals, is the website royaltyguardian.com? It is. Okay. Scott at royaltyguardian.com. There you go. Reach out to Scott directly if you got a question there. You're also on LinkedIn, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So if you if you want to reach out to Scott, connect with him there. Scott, this has been great. Oh, also, I think you did a you did a demo for uh DW Insight, right? Not yet? Mm -mm. All right. Well, we'll have to get you on there. So we'll get Scott on there so you can check out a full demo of Royalty Guardian on DW Insight. Scott, thanks for making the trip, man. Appreciate this has been a great, great conversation. This has been an honor. It's this is I praise being on this because when I told people about being on this podcast, they're like, really? Digital <laughs> Wildcatters is doing some great things. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate great that. Great things. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you guys like the episode, take two seconds, send it to all your friends, your colleagues, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Come, 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 come.